As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. It was October 14th, 1987 in Orland, Texas. And there was a young mom and she was outside at her sister's house and she was playing with her 18-month-old daughter. As she was playing with her daughter, the phone rang and for just a moment, just an instant, she turned away and she had to answer the phone, but these are the days when the phone used to be attached to the wall. Anybody remember those days? And so it was a hard line. Anybody still got a hard line phone? Why? Just asking. Just, I, sorry, I didn't mean to call you out, but why? Okay, so, so she goes to answer the phone, and she just looks away for a moment. She looks right back, and her 18-month daughter is gone. And so what she didn't realize and what she didn't know is that there was a hole in the ground, and it was only eight inches wide. Think about that for a moment. Only eight inches, this little small hole but it went down 22 feet. And so her infant, or her 18-month-old toddler went as far as the ceiling all the way down into this well that had been covered. And so she went hysterical. And she ran out there and she got other people and they're trying to figure out what can we do. They couldn't communicate with her. They couldn't hear her. They didn't know if she was okay. And so they called the first responders and the firemen got there and paramedics got there and the police got there and they couldn't do anything. So finally, they thought to themselves, let's call some engineers. This is Texas, it's oil country. They're used to digging deep wells. And so they got this team of engineers. They came up with a plan. Let's dig a shaft, not too close to where she is because we don't want that to cave in, but we'll dig a shaft all the way down 22 feet and then go over horizontally so that we can rescue her. After 24 hours, they didn't get to her yet. She's got no food, she's got no water, they don't know if she's okay. Media everywhere. After 48 hours, still the same. They're working diligently, but they couldn't get to her. After 58 hours, they finally got to baby Jessica. And one of the guys who was there and who was close to her said, as he got close, he could hear her singing, Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> they rescued her. They got her up to a nation that was cheering, a nation that actually had been praying. Fortunately, she had only a bump on her head Unfortunately, she had to have her toe amputated, but she has no recollection of this incident today. None. I don't know about you, but we're talking about unsung heroes, and we've been talking about stories of people, and I want to honor the first responders, the police, all those that gathered on the scene that day, all those that put out the fires, all those that come alongside, that team of engineers and the people who prayed. Those were the unsung heroes that day. And they're the unsung heroes even today. 
So if you're new, we're in a series. It's called Unsung Heroes. We've been looking in the Old Testament. I want to thank all those for joining us online. We've been looking in the Old Testament at people who are often overlooked. Open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. I've got another one for us today. This is an older woman. She's a widow, it says in the text. And I'm calling her the surrendered servant because that's exactly what she is to us. And what she teaches us, whether you're in the house or you're watching online, she gives us what I'm calling four providential promises. These are promises that you and that I need in the midst of difficulty. These are promises that you and I need in the midst of uncertainty. These are promises that you and I need when we can't figure things out, when things are going awry, when things look hopeless. Just like that day when Sissy McClure, who was Jessica's mom, ran out there and, and, and didn't know what to do. Some of us are in that place even right now. These are the promises that God has given to us in his word that we can apply to our lives even today. So let me begin reading. We don't know much about this woman other than what's here in 2 Kings chapter 4. Are you ready? Verse 1 says this. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elijah. So the wife is the woman we're focusing on. She's the unsung hero. She says, your servant, my husband, is dead. There it is. That's difficulty on its own. And she says, you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take away my two children to be his slaves. There's an even deeper problem as a result of the first. In verse 2, Elisha said to her, the prophet, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him. She shut the door behind herself in verse five and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. And he said to her, there's not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on the rest. Father, I pray for your blessing on the teaching of your word. Give me confidence. Give me help. I pray for your word to go out to your people in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of when we want to help other people. May this story be an encouragement and a help to us. If you agree with that prayer, simply say amen. First providential promise. We'll put it right up on the screen. If you're a note taker, write this. We all face times of crisis. We all face times of difficulty. We all face times of desperate need. That's where the text begins. Maybe you've just left a time of desperate need. Maybe you're walking into a time of desperate need. We all face times of uncertainty. Let's look closely at what was happening with her. We understand the landscape. It says that she was wife of one of the sons of the prophets. The sons of the prophets were the group of ministers that Elisha, the prophet, was training. 
So her husband, think of him as a prophet in training, a minister to be. He was a guy that was going to go forth and do some things for God. And what happened? Well, first, it's Elisha. Elisha's the one who's training. Elisha, don't be confused with Elijah. Some of you who've been grown up in church, you know those two prophets' names. Elijah was, he was being mentored and trained. Elisha mentored and trained Elijah. Got the difference? Everybody's looking for a mentor these days. Well, Elisha had a good one, Elijah. And so what happens? The woman, she says, your servant, she's reminding him, your servant, my husband, he's not here anymore. We don't know the circumstances surrounding what happened. It appears that it was sudden. It appears that it was unexpected. Why? Well, she says, you know what? Because the creditor is coming. She reminds him he feared the Lord. She's like, don't forget my husband loved God. Elisha probably knew who he was. He may have even known him by name. He may have even met her. But the issue was this, that the creditor had come and she was in financial difficulty. Now, first things first, let's be clear. Just because somebody is going through financial difficulty doesn't mean they're irresponsible. It doesn't mean that they're a bad steward. They're not a good steward. Just because that's happening doesn't mean that. Now, on the other hand, it could it could mean that you've outspent your savings. It could mean that you've done what? That you spend more than you take in. I've done messages on that. That's not a good place to be. But it doesn't have to mean that. I mean, we're living in a difficult time. I mean, have you been to the supermarket? Eggs are up and bread is up. Anybody with me? I just drove back from Wheaton. Some of you know that I preach over at the Wheaton campus. And then I come over here for this message. And so today I had to drive myself. And I don't like driving myself because I have a big car and it costs a lot of gas. <laughs> but seriously, prices are up. The cost of, do, of your home, the cost of ministry is up. Insurance is up. Everything's up. Just because you're in financial difficulty doesn't mean you've been a bad steward. I'm pretty sure that's what we see going on in this text. But there's no bankruptcy court. I'm sure she didn't, her husband didn't have a life insurance policy on him. Like this predates all that stuff. And so she had some problems as a result. And so what was happening was her sons were going to have to work off the debt and they were going to lose everything. So her sons, she would lose them if nothing else happened. That's the place she found herself in. Have you ever been in that kind of place? Maybe a place of uncertainty. Again, maybe you're in it now. Let me just ask you these questions to prime the prompt. What do you do when you're facing problems with your children that you can't solve? I, I mean, I can't believe they're hanging out with that group of people. I, 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 I saw them, I found this, and I think they're doing that. Well, what do you do when... When your marriage is on the rocks and the crashing waves of hopelessness are unrelenting. I mean, what do you do when there are problems at work and it seems that there's no way out? Like, my boss thinks this, I did that work, I didn't get the credit, he said this, she did that. I mean, what do you do 
when you have too much month left at the end of your money. Anybody been there? That that's what we see in the text. I mean, what do you do when you followed a loved one's body to the graveyard and you can't escape, escape the loneliness, the grief, and the pain? I mean, lastly, what, what do you do when your heart's broken, your dreams are shattered, and your hopes have been dashed to bits on the cruel rocks of reality? I mean, what do you do? I would suggest that you would do what the middle of verse one said, just like this woman said. It says she cried out to Elijah. He, she cried out to God. She cried out to someone who's going to point her in the right direction, not a horizontal solution, but a vertical solution. She was on her last leg. She was at the bottom. She was at the lowest of lows. And she teaches us that, man, I got to go directly to him. Why? I'm glad you asked that question. It's our second providential promise. Well, because this, because God needs only what we have. I mean, that's it. He needs only what we have. Now, interestingly, Elisha asks her two questions next. I want you to see them in the text. I'll put them right on the screen. If you got a hard Bible like mine, underline those right here. He asks two questions because these are the two questions that can help us to help others in times of difficulty and need. People have needs all around us. And so people, like, you know, it's like all you got to do is like drive on the highway or stop at an a, at a intersection and people are coming up. They got needs. They got signs. What do you do? How do you help people? Elisha gives us two good questions to help us. He asks first, he says, what shall I do for it? And then he has secondly, he says, what do you have? Hey, what do you got? And so think with me for a moment. If he only asked the first question and not the second question, what shall I do for you? He could be guilty of what? Enablement. That he's going to enable her that he's going to solve all her problems. And, and so he asks the second so that he doesn't enable. Hey, let me just give some truth today. Some of you have been trying to help someone and you've turned into an enabler that, that you're solving their problem and they're depending upon you. But the second question, if he only asks the second question and not the first question, hey, what do you got in your house? Then what's he guilty of? Being an uncaring person? An unwilling person to help? Being somebody that, hey, I don't want to help you. I have a friend, and he has a business, and his dad had a business, and he told me when he was a kid this influenced him because what he would do is he'd go up to a stoplight, and there would be somebody who would be begging for something, and his dad owned a business, and he would give him a business card, and he would say to him, hey, if you want a job, I can hire you. I have a factory. I got a, I got a place where you can work. Now, I'm not saying to go to that extreme, but all I'm saying is this. What do you have, and how can I help you? He's setting up the expectations, and he's clarifying what they are exactly. So how does she respond? Helpful? What does she do? How does she respond? She says, well, I, I've only got this jar of oil. Hey, I went through all the kitchen cupboards, and, and this is all that we could come up with. That's all I have. 
boom, there's the answer to the text. And I want to put it on the screen. Because sometimes this is what happens. We think we have nothing when we got something. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We got something when we think we have nothing. Why? Because God can do a lot with a little. Jesus is the one that said, hey, it only takes a mustard seed of faith. Let me remind you that it's not how much faith that we have. It's what we put our faith in that matters most. Amen? That he's the one. And sometimes we think we got nothing. And I just got to remind you that you have something from the shirt on your back to the character that you have, to the God that you follow, to that mustard seed of faith. And I love this the best. God is in the business of making something out of nothing. That's what he does. I mean, he did it with the world. He made something out of, you remind me, nothing. Hey, he did it with you. He's doing it with us now. He's making something out of nothing because in and of ourselves, we got nothing. Anybody with me? She had more than she thought. God makes something out of nothing. That's the business that he's in. I just want you to think for a moment. I was thinking about this this week. Jody, my wife, is in the front row, and I remember when we were in a kind of a difficult spot, and we had newly married, and t- things were tight. And, and we, we didn't have, I mean, we didn't have health insurance. And I could explain a lot why it didn't happen, and we were responsible, but we had a little faith. And, and God provided. I remember another time when it was like the car, you know, we had two kids, I'm in ministry, the car, it's not working, it gets, oh my goodness, I can't pay that bill. But, but we had faith. I remember when we were going through a family crisis. And it wasn't that long ago. And man, this person's saying that this is going this. And like, well, we're in the middle and didn't see any resolution. But we had faith. I remember when we got into this building that we're sitting here right now. So we bought this building. It was 107,000 square feet. It was going through foreclosure. It looked nothing like it does now. This neighborhood, nothing looked like this. There wasn't all these restaurants and all this stuff. And we bought this building. It was going through foreclosure, and we paid a cheap $7 million. <laughs> and then we bought the building. We were over at the high school not too far from here. And some of you, I'm looking at you, you can remember. And I walked up on the stage at the high school, and I just had to say, well, I just... I'm really sorry to tell you this, but remember that building that we bought that we were going to have church services in? Well, the city says we can use it for offices, but we can't gather there on Sunday. So we didn't have the zoning. But but we had faith. And and now as we got five locations, I mean, it's hard, just just a little bit of faith. Man, God makes something out of nothing. So, so what is it in your life? What are you struggling with? What are you wrestling with? Maybe it's a financial situation like we have here. Maybe it's a relational difficulty. Like I'm just telling you, God's in the business of making something out of nothing. Why? Hey, I'm glad you asked that question because it gives us our next. 
providential promise. And these are promises from God's word. God does only what we can't. I mean, if you're, if you're like, I can't do it, and I feel done, and, and I don't know where to go, that's the place where God is at work. That's the place where he shows up. Because God only does what we refuse to do. God, God does what we cannot do. And let's look at the text, my favorite part. So he says to her, he says, okay, I want you to do this. Remember, this woman had nothing but this little jar. And he tells her, he says, go. He says, borrow vessels from all your neighbors. Just go get as many vessels as you can. You and the sons, just go out to the neighbors and just go up to the neighbor and ask, hey, hey can, do you have a jar that I could borrow? Is that embarrassing? To the neighbor that you know doesn't like you, that's been complaining about the fact that you don't cut your lawn or you're complaining that they don't cut their lawn or whatever it is, and can I borrow a jar? Get out of here. That's what she had to do. And so he says, go. He says, all your neighbors, empty vessels, not too few. I can see her getting some things of sugar and some things with other things and dumping them out and bringing them home. And then the prophet tells her, go in, shut the door, you and your son. And this is where the little things in the text matter. Because, see, God, this wasn't a prophet who was, you know, it was some kind of circus sideshow. He wanted to reveal himself to them. He wanted God to teach them the lesson. This wasn't for everybody else to see. And he wanted them to participate in the miraculous. Are you catching that? That's the biggest thing in the text. He, he wanted her to participate. He wanted her to be a part of the solution. And, and so what he says, he says, and so pour it, go in your sons and pour it into all these vessels and one is full, set it aside. And so what did she do? She did exactly what he said. She, she went and she shut the door and, and she began pouring into, it was like she had this little bit of oil and miraculously, this is the miracle. And she starts filling all the jars, oh, the big one. And she's filling up, it's overflowing. This, this oil that was costly, this, this oil that was worth so much, this oil that, that now it would get her out of debt and solve her financial problems, this little bit got multiplied into this big bit. Here's the secret. No verse five, no miracle. No verse five, what's verse five? I just hate to have to tell you this, it's so simple. One word, obedience. She, she did exactly what he said. She, she, she did exactly what he said. If, if she doesn't obey, she doesn't get blessed. And blessing, we've taught this before, always leads to obedience comes from blessing and disobedience results in curse. And so if there's no verse five, there's no miraculous. And so some of us, if I can just press in a little, would you give me some permission to do it? Well, I'm gonna do it anyways. Some of us, we're neglecting verse five. And, and God's told us to do some things. And whether it's forgiving that person, whether it's getting rid of that bitterness and resentment, whether it's helping to share your faith with someone else, 
whether, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. And we're not doing what God has called us to do. He didn't call me to do it. He didn't call the person sitting next to you to do it. He called you to do it. And you feel as foolish as knocking on your neighbor's door and saying, do you got a jar? And, and God's asked you to make a decision as a young person to cut across the culture and live a different way. And, and you're not doing it. And, and that's why you're not receiving blessing. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, to the husbands. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way and treat them as the weaker vessel, not inferior, as the precious person that they are, as an heir of grace with you. And if you don't, what does the scripture say? Your prayers will be hindered. If you don't obey and do what I want here, then I'm not going to answer over there. So I'm just trying to press in because I love us that if we, if we don't have a verse five, we've got a lot of empty jars. And so she did exactly what he said. I mean, I love that part of the text. It's like, I'm doing exactly, I'm doing exactly what he says. Why? Because faith is always revealed in action. Out of my whole ministry, that's probably a sentence I've said more than any other. Faith is always revealed in action. As I'm walking across the stage right now on this step, think about it in this way. Faith results in footsteps. She had to go outside. She had to do some things she probably didn't want to do. She had to take a step of faith. Interesting, what did he not ask her to do? He didn't say go and pray. Sit in your house and pray. Now don't send the email. I'm not saying prayer's not important. But, but isn't it interesting? I'm sure she did pray. I'm sure her step of faith caused her to pray more. Anybody been in that place where your prayers are getting deeper because you stop praying that someone else is going to solve the problem, but you just take a step of faith to do it? Faith is always revealed in action, in the footsteps that we take. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, he said to the lepers, he said, go show yourselves to the priests and then you'll be healed. And the text says, you can check it if you want, the text says as soon as they began footsteps, as soon as they began walking, it was like the miracle began. That's what he said in John chapter nine to the blind man. And he said, go wash in the pool. And I don't know how he got there, I don't know if some friends guided him there, but he took the water and, and, and immediately he was healed. That's why Jesus said at the wedding, and. John chapter two, and so, you know, don't want to bring this up too much in church here, but the wine was empty. They were partying. And next thing you knew, they're like, hey, we got all these jugs, we need some more wine. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't go like this and snap his fingers and get the wine filled up. Jesus didn't call somebody in Napa Valley and say, hey, can you give me a shipment? No, no, what did he do? He said, go and fill the jars with water first because he wants us to participate. 
He wants us to be involved. And then what did they say? Man, hey, this is the best stuff, man. You saved the best for last. Faith is always received, revealed in footsteps. And so I don't want us to miss it. This is a, a favorite passage of mine. I say that every passage is a favorite passage. Let me just say this is my favorite passage this week. But I don't want you to miss it. The jar represents opportunity. And, and so that's the jar. So, so even, you know, just write that in. The jar is opportunity. Opportunity for God to work. And so it's empty. And God wants to fill it. And so there's all kinds of jars of opportunity just even represented here. There's, there's jars of freedom that, that God wants to free you from a past hurt, a past habit, a habit that's going on now, a hang-up, that there's freedom, that God wants to fill you. There's, there's jars of salvation, that, that God wants you to commit your life to him, that you would surrender yourself to him, that you would embrace what Jesus did on the cross. There's jars of salvation for you and for other people that you love and that you know. There's, there's jars of reconciliation that, that God wants to fill. And God wants to, as long as it depends on you, that you would be at peace with all people and that you would do your part. And that jars of reconciliation, that God wants to reconcile people, not only to himself and salvation, but to others. There's jars of salvation. There's jars of sanctification that we would become more like Jesus. Sanctification is just a theological term. It's progressive in nature that we're going to become more like him as he fills us up. Hey, there's jars of ministry. and There's lots of jars of ministry that, that, that God wants to use you in a situation, whether it's in service or or there's jobs of, of, of ministry here at the church. and We started this next. We wound up doing our Limitless Initiative. We started that nearly 22 months ago. And so there was some jars of opportunity that we saw. God was doing some things. And, and God's been filling those jars. Can I celebrate a jar we didn't see? So there's all kinds of jars that we saw God do. And we're like, hey, we've got, a, we've got a, a church planting hub in Africa. And God, would you fill that jar? Uh, Lord, would you? We have a location in St. Vincent. Pastor Craig is away. He's teaching there right now. He's pouring into them. There's a, we want to help them get into a building. There, there's a jar of a church planting in Europe. And, and we're planting churches all over the Europe, eastern side. And, and all these things. And one we didn't see. This is the Korean, high point Korean. And so this thing just came out of nowhere. And sometimes God just brings some jars you didn't even see coming and he fills them. And I just, before I got into here and during the offering song, I went over and prayed. I don't know if you realize it, but we have a chapel space that we just redid in our building. It wasn't being used for the right purposes, and we reshaped that space. It's a chapel now, and High Point Korea is meeting in there right now. Can we praise the Lord? And so I went over there and prayed over Pastor Kiwan and, and prayed for God's hand of favor that he would bless their step of obedience. It's not a huge space, but we believe God's going to use it. He'll be doing three services out of that place. It's a soft launch now up until Easter where we're going to kick it off to the Korean community. And like, there's all kinds of jars. 
And, and so what's God want to fill in you? I mean, that, that's the message. I mean, because God fills only what we offer. And, and so what are you willing to offer to him where you're just like, God, I'm a bit empty and I need to be filled. If I can be so bold and so foolish maybe is to say, I'm just going to, I'm just going to give this jar right here. Let me give it to you. And, and, and just as, as you hold that jar, just think about, think about something that God has, I know he's done some great things, Kelly, in your life. And God's been there for you and he's filled something. Or maybe there's a need right now and you haven't verbalized it. And you're just asking, Lord, would you just fill this? And then just, just pass it around. And so we're all going to get a whole chance to hold the jar. Don't drop the jar. This section I'm more concerned about than others. But, but, but as foolish as it is, just that as you hold, God, I, God, I want to thank you for how I've seen you work in the path. And maybe it was a financial thing that he did. Maybe it was a marriage that he healed. Maybe it was a physical problem that you had that now the Lord has healed you physically, spiritually, emotionally. I, I know it sounds foolish, but but reflect upon what God has done and what you want God to do because God fills only what we offer. And so that's the last providential truth. And it's more than a truth, it's a promise. And so as you're passing those jars to other people and you're just taking it for a moment, hey, God's only gonna fill what you offer to him. That's it. How many people have a dog? Give me a hand raise. Okay, we love dogs. How many people have cats? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, we don't like those. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. Because when you take a stick and you throw it to your dog, what does the dog do? He goes and gets it. When you take a stick and throw it at your cat, what does your cat do? They pick it up and throw it back at you. <laughs> but seriously, a dog, what's a dog do? A dog goes and gets the stick and it brings it back. I want to teach you the biblical principle. Write it in your notes. Write it above this passage. 2 Kings chapter 4. This is the whole message in a sentence. Fetch and fill. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to fetch and he's going to fill. He wants you to go after it, man. He wants you to take a step of faith. He wants you to go after the next hill. I hope that that's the bottom line of my ministry and my Christian life, that I was a man that was willing to fetch to do exactly what God wanted and fill. And that he filled it. And that there was opportunities in my life and in my family and in the community, in the church, where I just, I, I, I saw him fill. And I know you've seen it, you've experienced it. And so here's the three words that are the worst in the text. Oil stopped flowing. When we stop fetching, he stops filling. When we say, I, I don't want to do that, no, I, I'm not, he, he stops filling. It, it, like, like as you're holding that glass, can I just... Like, if you got the glass, put it up. Just raise it up for me. It's you. This is you. And, and you're empty without the Lord. And, 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 and you're just asking him to fill you. 
Now, Lord, fill me with peace. Lord, fill me with hope. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, fill me with what I need to do your will, your way. Like, we're just asking him to fill. And so when we refuse to fetch, he refuses to fill. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, and we got the best part of the service coming next. And what we're going to do is, for those who've been with us before, we're going to do what we call a soft close. If you've never been here, worship team's going to come forward, thankful for Todd leading us today and our team. And, and so this is like, we're just going to use the rest of our time to make this a place where God is at work and where his spirit is filling. And so in a moment, I'm going to open up the altar, and we did it in the last service, and people come forward and and if you need to be filled I'm asking that you would take a step and you say well why do I have to come up front well that's a good question and you don't have to I'm not making you but I'll just ask you this why did she have to leave her house and go knock on the doors why because God wanted her to, and God wanted to take a step. And, and, and faith, faith is followed by footsteps. And so interestingly, Elisha's name, his name means God of petition. And so the prophet's name, are you getting that? It's, a, it's petition, it's ask, it's come, it's, it's God wants to do. It's like, come to me. God wants to beat your request. If you're willing to surrender like this woman. And so interestingly, this is the first of five miracles that Elisha does in the text, in this chapter. He does five more. And then, listen, he does 14 miracles are recorded. He does seven more miracles than his mentor, Elijah. Isn't that interesting? He does twice as many as his mentor. Now, I only point that out to you. You say, well, Why? Because he asked his mentor, he said, can I get a double portion from God? And God gave him exactly a double portion. And I'm just going to suggest to you that some of us, we haven't come forward to receive the double portion because we have not asked. And God wants to fill your spirit. He wants to fill it with his love. He wants to fill you with his wisdom. He wants to fill you with his grace. So before I ask you to respond, it was interesting last week, if you were here, we had a message and it was on revival. And so I got all kinds of feedback. Yeah, we need revival. We need revival. And, and it was just awesome. It was a great passage of scripture. It was my favorite for that week. And at the end of the service, at the 11 o'clock service, just like now, I, I came over here because there was a gentleman that came forward and he wanted prayer. He was with another couple leaders. And so I was wondering what's the deal with him and he just said, he said to me, I'm a Muslim. And this is exactly what he said. He said, I woke up this morning and I knew that I had to go to that church, High Point Church. I knew I had to go to High Point Church, that big four-story black building off of IDA. And so I woke up today I'm a Muslim, and I just need you to know that I've been thinking about Jesus for many, many years. 
And he said, I'm ready right now to surrender my life to Jesus. Now listen. Listen. This is, this is a guy, do you understand what's happening? This is a guy, like nobody invited him. Like I didn't talk to him. Like, like I don't know, he, he didn't know anything. He didn't see our ads. He didn't, he, all, he, all he saw was like, like God drew him here. Because God knew that we were going to teach from his word and that we were going to cause, we were going to talk about revival and God sovereignly brought him in this space right now. And he received Jesus. So this is your time. This is your space. That I believe God has sovereignly brought you here to respond to him. And interestingly, when this guy came forward and we stood over there, I don't do this very often. But I just said, hey, instead of me praying for you, you're ready to accept and surrender to Christ. Why don't you pray to him? And he, I kind of took him off guard. And I like to do this every once in a while. I don't do it always. Most of the time I'll pray that prayer, the ABCs. And I'll just pray, if you admitted that you're a sinner, do you believe that Jesus Christ went to the grave for you and rose on the third day? Do you, do you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I'll pray that, and then I'll ask for them to agree. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I do that all the time. It's a great model to follow. But in this situation, I just felt the Lord. I just said, why don't you pray? And I'm not going to reveal what he prayed. But I'm telling you, it was the most sincere, spirit-led, it was the most foundational prayer of salvation. And all I'll say is this, you know what he did? He basically said this, I'm rejecting something and accepting something else. He was rejecting the religion. He was rejecting the God. He was rejecting the faith that he brought up with because he found Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And then he said this. And then he just said, you know, would you pray for me after he was done? Because this week is Ramadan. Some of you know that's a very important uh, holiday. And, and he said, you know, because I'm going to tell my family about my decision to surrender myself to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask you, what do you need to surrender and I'm going to ask to come forward now. If you're a leader in the church, I just ask that you would come forward and even pray and begin to pray for us to surrender things in this moment. Let's open up the front. We want to pray for you. Decisions be made. Go ahead. You can just do it as I'm talking. The worship team's going to just pray and call out to the Lord, and we're going to just sing. And this is a quiet close. Just there's some decisions that be made. We're just going to kneel right down at the altar and we're just going to pray for others as we surrender ourselves. Father, move. I pray for your spirit now. I pray in Jesus' name.